Amen. All right, why don't you uh, take your Bibles, take your Bibles, go to Isaiah chapter 9. Too bad that wasn't any fun. Man. (laughs) Isaiah chapter 9. So it's been, uh, been quite a week. I don't know how you're feeling about it, but it has been a, a week. <laughs> I mean, there's been some cool stuff happening. Um, I mean, having the, the bookers get ready to go this week is exciting. Um, we're, we really are excited about it, but I'm, I've said this a couple of times, and I'll say it again. I think we're, we're really excited that they're going. We're just kind of disappointed that they're leaving. I don't know if that makes sense, but we're, we're excited about this. So, so that there's a, an enthusiasm and an excitement that comes with that. Um, this has been a week where, where new babies have arrived. New ba- and so new grandparents have happened. And I was making a joke first service about new parent, grandparents carrying around the big honking pictures of their new grandbaby, but it's different, and I forgot. Now they have their phones, and right on cue, Chuck had his phone out showing the picture of his new grandbaby. I thought that was him getting up to go show everybody. I was like, man, settle down. Uh, so, so, so there's good stuff there. Good news this week. A lot of good news this week. I got to hear a lot of positive things that God is doing. I got to hear, and they were here first service, not this service, but I got to hear about uh, somebody uh, who came into the family of God this week. I mean, just a lot of good stuff this week, right? But always with that comes terrible news. It's been some terrible news this week. Um, some of it for people in their employment. Just hard, hard news. Some, um, a couple that I know of anyway, uh, this week found out that uh, the cancer word is something they're going to have to deal with quite a bit in the next few weeks and months. Uh, some of it been relationship-oriented. So, Mike Clevenger. And for those of you that don't know, Holly's been updating Facebook for us, which has been very helpful. But but Mike has really been going through it the last couple of weeks. A couple of surgeries, he's just not healing quickly. He just got transferred yesterday down to University of Maryland. Um, Potential of more procedures, just, just so much going on. And so, while all that happens, right, I think for most of us, what what settles in our soul, particularly this time of year, is, okay, but wait, wait, okay. It's Christmas. This is the joyful time. This is when we get all the good smells from grandmom's cookies, right? The warm, comfy socks. I mean, everything's joyful. Everything's about peace. Everything's Christmassy. Where's the warm, fuzzy of Christmas when I get these phone calls? And and, and the problem is when we're looking for that peace, we start running to the wrong places, so, so we run to, this is crazy, but it's true. I've talked to a lot of people who've done this. We run to Dr. Phil, right? We run to Dr. Phil to try to get our peace. And I'm telling you, you're not going to find peace from Dr. Phil. You're going to find out you're scum, but you ain't going to get any peace from Dr. Phil. We, we run to that. We, we, we elevate our political figures to a place, a platform, that they can't possibly succeed. We want them to be the ones who are going to bring us great peace and, and, and the problem is what you have just done is placed a weight upon their shoulders that will eventually crush them. But they're not going to be able to bring the peace that you need. 
here's what, what a lot of us do. We go to church and look for peace, which is awesome. Problem is, there's a lot of people at church. And church would be awesome if it weren't for all the people. So the reality is we, we keep running, looking for, for peace, and we look for peace in, in, in people, we look for peace in politicians, we look for peace in church, we look for peace in all these different areas, and ultimately we're disappointed because they're not the givers of peace. And so the darkness kind of overwhelms us at times, and we can feel like we're entrenched in it. But the good news of Advent is that it was in the middle of that great darkness that a bright light crashes in. And that, that, that's what, what, what Isaiah is talking about here in Isaiah chapter 9. You can almost hear the enthusiasm and excitement in his voice, particularly in verse 2. Uh, like a little kid who's coming down the stairs on Christmas morning, and mom and dad haven't done a great job disguising the wrapping job, and he can tell, that's my bike. I know that's a bike. And so, like most parents, we just torture them for hours. They have to look at this wrapped up, obvious bike for hours upon hours. Like, I just want to open it. And they're excited and they're joyful. That's kind of the feeling you get from Isaiah. He starts in verse 1, and he says, Nevertheless, the gloom of the distressed land will not be like that of the former times when, when God had humbled the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will bring honor to the way of the sea, to the land east of the Jordan, and to the Galilee of the nations. And then hear this overwhelming joy. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. God, you have enlarged the nation. You have increased its joy. The people have rejoiced before you like they rejoice at harvest time or as when they're dividing spoils. You have shattered their oppressive yoke and the rod on their shoulders, the staff of their oppressor, just as you did on the day of Midian. For every trampling boot of battle and the bloody garments of war will be burned as fuel for the fire. See, so you, you hear the enthusiasm and the excitement in Isaiah's voice as he says, man, it was dark. It was so very dark, but then this light has come. And again, we talked about the prophetic perfect. He's speaking about it as if it has already happened because in the prophet's mind, when God says it, it's done. God has already given us that light. And what does that light look like? It looks like, verse 6, a child. For a child will be born for us. A son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. This child's name will be Wonderful Counselor. We talked about Wonderful Counselor a number of weeks ago. We talked about how a counselor is somebody, a good counselor is somebody who can relate to the person who they're giving counsel to because they've experienced the same thing that they're going through. A counselor is somebody who can not just say, oh, it sounds terrible, can say, oh, I've been there. And so as they share their experience and the, 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 the deliverance that God has given to them through Jesus Christ, there is great hope and confidence. A counselor is really good, and you can tell he's a good counselor when you look at his track record and you see changed lives following him wherever he goes. This son that has been given to us, this child who will be born for us, this one will be named Wonderful Counselor, and that's Jesus Christ himself. This one will be called Mighty God. Unlike every other hero of the, Old, of the Old Testament, this one will not fail. This one will not pull up short. This one will not be incomplete. This one will be mighty. 
Because this one isn't just a baby who happens to be laying in a cradle of straw. This one happens to be God in flesh. So the full might and glory and power of God himself is in that child. Jesus Christ. Everlasting Father. Not not that that, that the baby comes and takes the position of the Father, but instead this child comes and has daddy-like qualities. And I don't mean your daddy, and I don't mean my daddy, because that puts a whole warp on the way we might view this. No, he, he comes like the perfect daddy, the one who comes and who likes us, the one who comes who cares for us, the one who comes and is there for us, the one who comes and loves us, and not just says, I love you, leave me alone, I'm watching a game. But the daddy who loves his son, even if that son is wayward, and stands at the door waiting for him to return. And the moment he sees him in the distance, he drops everything, grabs the corner of his robe, and runs as fast as he can. See, that's the everlasting Father. That's the way Jesus loves us. This morning we get to finish with with this last name. It'll be called the Prince of Peace. The Prince of Peace. To simplify the, the word prince, you just simply have to understand that's the authority. That's the, the leadership. That's the, 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 the one. It could be military. It could be political. It could be just authoritative leader. That's who this one is. He is the leader, the prince. He has all the authority, and he is the prince of peace. Now, when we start talking about peace in church, we get a very warped understanding of it. So let me, let me explain this to you. Peace is not just a feeling. You understand that, right? I... I want that feeling. I'm going to be honest with you. I want that feeling. I want to feel the peace. I want, to, I want to feel like this is what it's supposed to be. I want to feel the warm fuzzies. I want to feel like I'm at a beach and the breeze is slightly blowing and there just happens to be nobody else at the beach bothering me and my cell phone is back in my car. I, I want that, right? That's a feeling, right? The, the nice warm sun and the light breeze and the silence and the smells of the ocean. If you're in the right place, not on the bay, that gets a little gnarly. But then I, that's all the perfect, that's, it. that's the feels that I want. I want that in my soul, like the mythical fairy dust to come and spread over me so that I feel peace. And unfortunately, within the church circles, of which you are in, obviously, much of the teaching about the very peace that comes from the Prince of Peace lands there. You're going to feel good. Now, I'm going to be pretty honest. If you know Jesus, and you love Jesus, and you're fixed on who he is and what he's done, you've submitted your life to him, there is a peace. But that peace is a byproduct of what Jesus has done for you. It's not the feeling that you go after so hard. It doesn't start with that feeling. Something else has to happen first that brings that peace along. And that's what Isaiah is talking about with the, the Prince of Peace. So it's not the feeling. He doesn't bring this mystical feeling that we're all chasing around. And, 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 and let's, let's be honest, peace isn't the absence of conflict. Let me, let me explain what I mean by that. So let's just say that there's a situation happening in your home and you and your bride are having a disagreement of sorts. Not that any married couples have disagreements. It's always wonderful and romantic, 
Never a disagreement, amen? Okay, so in this illustration, because none of you know what it means to disagree with your spouse, I'm going to use myself as an example. Um, I, I, let's say, and this isn't true, this is why I can use it, it's a safe example. My wife and I, no argument that I know of right now. Right now, right? We're good. I may have just started one, but up till now, I was good. Okay. We're sitting in a car. We're sitting in a car, and we start getting into this heated disagreement. It is not going well. Because, as has been the case for almost 25 years now, actually probably more than 25, uh, we've been married almost 25 years, but as is the case, I, and I know you're not supposed to say this, but come on, let's just call it what it is, I'm losing. I'm losing, and I'm losing badly. I'm losing badly enough that I have no false pretenses that I am winning. It is going horribly. I am losing And so the conflict remains, but what I decide to do is shut it down. So we are in the car. We are no longer talking about the thing that has brought the tension. We're actually no longer talking. So the conflict is now absent. But there is not peace, right? I think for many of us, we think if we could just remove the conflict, that's peace. Another illustration of it's a Christmas story. It's uh, from 1914, World War I. You had Germans and British soldiers in bunkers on either side of a, a battlefield. It's Christmas Eve. Uh, night had come, and uh, the, the, the British soldiers were in their bunkers, and they heard, could hear the German soldiers singing Christmas carols. And so the, the British soldiers joined in and started singing Christmas carols with them. So this is a weird moment that's happening, right? I mean, just hours before, they're shooting at each other. In fact, there's still dead bodies on the battlefield. But now, all of a sudden, Christmas Eve, because it's Christmas Eve, they're singing Christmas carols to each other. It's just this kind of bizarre thing that happens. And then 10 o'clock in the morning, Christmas morning, out from the, the German bunker comes one soldier with his hands up and starts walking towards the British bunkers. And now the British draw on him but they realize quickly that he is unarmed and he is offering himself with his hands in the air. So another British soldier comes out of his bunker and walks towards him and meets him in the middle of the bunkers, in the middle of the battlefield. And they, they exchange Christmas pleasantries. And suddenly, all of the soldiers lay their arms down. The, the, the British soldiers come from their bunker, the German soldiers come from their bunker, and they meet each other on the field, and they begin to exchange pleasantries. They share Christmas gifts with one another. They share chocolate with one another. They share Christmas cards with one another. They even play a game of soccer against each other. It is said it was a good-natured game. However, I would be a little nervous. They're like, well, literally, we were just shooting at each other. Now we're playing soccer. You get this call wrong, you're in trouble. But, but they, they, they maintain it. It's known as the Christmas Truce of 1914. It didn't happen all across the battlefields. It didn't happen all across the, 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 the war. Uh, it just happened in that particular area. Christmas Day draws to an end. The Germans return to their bunkers. British soldiers return to theirs. And on December 26th, they continued shooting at each other. So was that peace? Was December 25th peace? No, December 25th was not peace. 
That was a truce. That was a pause in the conflict. It, it wasn't resolving the conflict. It was a pause in the conflict. And what you need to understand is that when Jesus speaks of the Prince of Peace, or when Isaiah speaks of the Prince of Peace, when he speaks of Jesus himself, Jesus came not to, 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 to pretend like there is no conflict, not to pause the conflict. Jesus came to resolve the conflict. That's what brings us peace. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, Jesus came to reconcile us to God. See, we need to understand that peace can only come when victory is fully realized. Peace can only come when victory is fully realized. If you look at verse 5 of Isaiah chapter 9, that's what it's trying to say. Say, in every trampling boot of battle, the bloodied garments of war will be burned as fuel for the fire. So if you get that picture in your mind, what you have is a battlefield that is strewn about with the instruments of war. I mean, you, you, you've got armor, you've got weapons, you've got boots, you've got clothes of the soldiers, and the clothing of the soldiers and the boots are covered with blood, which is an evidence that this war was real. It was war. Upon the conclusion of the battle, the, the fog of war has settled down on the field. You can still smell the, the gunpowder. You can still feel the tension in the air. But as that fog slowly lifts and reveals all of those accoutrements of war, what you realize is nobody else is shooting. The enemy is gone. And Isaiah says, we walk out to the field and we take the boots and we take the clothing of war and we pile it up and we begin to use it as fuel to heat and to warm ourselves because we don't need the weapons of war anymore because the enemy has been defeated. The victory is ours. Now, because the victory is ours, that's what brings peace. Peace isn't this mystical feeling that settles in in our soul when we pray so very hard for it. Peace is something that is given to you as a result of a victory that's been given to you. And you can't have real peace until that final enemy's gone, can you? You can't have real, real peace. Um, so I'm going to share an illustration with it because it's probably a better picture of it. So um, when I was in college, I had the opportunity to play paintball for the first time. That's a fantastic time. I actually kind of enjoyed it. Um, and things were going really well. A little side story. Things were going really well. My wife, who was not my wife at the time, was behind me. And she shot me in my behind because she thought it was funny. Remember that argument thing I was talking about? I could have won that one, I think. There, there, there was this, this battle that was occurring between the two teams. I had never played paintball before. One of the things that I found out is you need to keep track of how many enemies there are. Because my team had done a fantastic job. I mean, we had cleaned them out. And so we're watching people walk off with they're like, we got a shot, we got a shot. And, and it always made me laugh when people get shot. This sounds really bad. It makes me laugh when people get shot in the face. I mean, they have masks on, so it's not like paint, but, but it's because it explodes and then their mouth gets filled with paint. It's awesome. Merry Christmas. Um, so we're, we're, we're whooping up and we're doing great, we're doing great, we're doing great, and I think we're done. And I'm like, whew. And I get up from my neat little sniper position and I begin to walk around and walk along and everything's going great and I'm just walking and all of a sudden I catch one in the side of the neck. And it's not from Stephanie again. This is from somebody on the other team. And one of the things that we need to realize is there is no peace as long as one enemy remains. 
The Prince of Peace came and offered us peace because through his shed blood and glorious resurrection, he has conquered Satan. He has conquered sin. He has conquered death. He's conquered the grave. He's conquered hell. There is not a single enemy that still remains. That's where our peace comes from. So how can you attain that peace? I'm going to put this verse on uh, the screen here for you. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5. And in a moment, you're going to notice half the church get up and leave. I didn't offend them, I promise. They're going to come sing for us. Okay, the, <laughs> Isaiah 53, verse 5. Where, where do we get this peace? Where does it come from? Well, Isaiah 53 explains it to us. It says, he was crushed. Talking about Jesus Christ himself. He was pierced because of our transgressions. He was crushed because of our iniquities. The punishment for our peace was on him, and we are healed by his wounds. When Christ came and conquered sin and death and hell and the grave and Satan himself, he did so by sacrificing himself on the cross for your sins. The punishment for your peace had been purchased by Jesus Christ himself. And it's not something that you can earn. You can't earn the payment for your peace. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. You simply can accept it. And that's what he is offering you. He is offering you the opportunity to accept his payment on your behalf to live a life that is marked by freedom from the enemy, total victory, and absolute peace. But we're still surrounded by darkness. And dark gets darker. We, we see creation groan for its Redeemer to come back and restore it back to its place of perfection. We see people struggle and wrestle. And we ask ourselves, particularly around Christmas time, where's their peace? And the answer is we need to fix our eyes on Jesus Christ. The moment we fix our eyes on anything else, it's going to throw us to a position where we don't understand what it is that God's doing for us. It's going to put us in a place where we will go out of our minds trying to put our hope and trust and confidence in anything and everyone else. And in reality, there is no peace in there, those places. The only peace is yours, and it's available to you through Jesus Christ alone. That's it. I think, I think um, Beardsley's verse is exactly right. That's how you and I can live in peace. You and I can live in peace because there is nothing. It doesn't matter how tall, how short, how wide, how deep. It doesn't matter how loud, how quiet. It doesn't matter how sneaky or obvious. It doesn't matter how aggressive or how passive aggressive. There is nothing that can separate you from the love that God has for you in Jesus Christ. That's peace. That's peace. Peace is knowing that my Father loves me. Peace is knowing that God sent His Son for me. Peace is knowing that from before the very foundation of time, I was on His mind. <laughs> How do you respond to that? Worship. Adoration. Praise. Thankfulness. It, it's the picture of Revelation 5. It's Jesus, oh, I'm sorry, as, as, as John, the writer of, of Revelation, is, 
is there before the throne in his vision and his he begins to hear the people cry out, who is worthy to open the scroll? Can't anybody open the scroll? Why won't anybody open the scroll? And it seems kind of a silly thing for us because we're not familiar with what's happening in that moment. And to be honest, you can study Revelation for years upon years and still not have any idea of what's going on in there, okay? But Revelation chapter 5, he's talking about the scroll, and without getting into all the details, you, you can just suffice it to say this, the scroll within that scroll is contained the future. Now, you can take that a hundred different ways, and please don't take me to task of my theology right now. I'm just trying to explain what is there, okay? It is the future. And so no matter what happens, the future cannot be realized until the scroll is open, the seals are broken, and the scroll is unraveled to reveal the very future, whether that be time, whether that be the revelation of what Jesus is doing, whatever it is. But know this, the people were so despondent because they were upset that they would never be able to see the promises of God realized if the scroll wasn't unrolled. See, they were waiting in the darkness. How long, God? How long do we have to wait? How long? Why can't anybody open the scroll and get this thing moving so that we get to see finally fulfilled before our eyes the promise that you have given to us? How long do we have to wait? Why is there no one worthy of opening the scroll? Until the lamb stepped forward. And the shouts began. Oh, he's worthy. He's the one that can do it. No one else can. No, the lion of Judah, the root of David, he can unravel the scroll. He can unravel the scroll because he has purchased for himself a people of every tribe, of every tongue, of every kindred, of every nation. He alone can open that scroll because he has purchased the peace for the people who would find themselves in him. Your peace has been purchased by Jesus Christ. He alone is worthy of our adoration. He alone is worthy of our thankfulness. He alone is worthy of our joy. That's what peace is. So I want to close our time together this morning by worshiping out of Revelation chapter 5 with the same words the crowds of people surrounding the throne said, and we'll make this our prayer. God, you are worthy to take the scroll, to open its seals. Because you, Jesus, and you alone were slaughtered. You purchased people for God by your blood. You purchased a people from every tribe, language, people, and nation. You've made them a kingdom and priests to our God. And they're going to reign on earth. Worthy. Worthy is the lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches, wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Blessing and honor and glory and power be to the one seated on the throne and to the lamb forever and ever. God, Jesus is the only one who is worthy. 
lamb that came for us who laid down his life for us who purchased our peace God we desperately want peace and we are foolish enough to look for it in every wrong place possible so God may we rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ knowing that what it is what he accomplished is exactly what we needed to have accomplished and could never do on our own. So God, I pray that our hearts and our eyes would be open, that we would worship you and thank you with everything we have, that we would better understand what it means to live in peace because of the finished work of Christ. Would you take our offering of worship Would you make it pleasing and acceptable in your sight? Amen.